everybody. Welcome to the Basis Points Podcast. I'm Kevin Flanagan, Head of Fixed Income Strategy at Wisdom Tree Asset Management. With the craziness going on in the bond market and a Fed meeting coming up, I thought, what better person to have on than someone we've had on the podcast before, Matt Hornback, the Global Head of Macro Strategy at Morgan Stanley. Matt, great to have you on board. Thanks very much for having me back, Kevin. It's a real pleasure to, uh, to be with you today. So, I mean, I was going through your outlook for 2024, and before we came on, we were we were kind of joking. I'm a big Genesis fan, and, and you titled it Land of Confusion, which I thought was great, considering, considering what we've seen happen over the last few weeks or last month or so. So I wanted to just break it down a little bit. Um, you know, you were looking uh, essentially for Treasury yields to come down into the first half of next year and, and all of 2024. And, and now that we have seen this dramatic decline in the 10-year Treasury yield since, um, let's call it the November Fed meeting, are, are you still in that camp? Are you rethinking that at all? Or do you think this is just you know, coming in a little bit sooner than what you were expecting? Yeah, well, there's sort of a, a saying in in the strategy space, uh, which which you and I both uh, inhabit, which is <clears throat> you're either uh, wrong on the direction of the market or you're wrong on the timing. Uh, it's very hard to be right uh, in in what in what we do, but uh, we certainly try. And I would say, um, in this case, you know, we were we were right on the direction, but we were wrong on on the timing. Uh, it all transpired uh, before the end of 2023. Uh, let alone uh, uh, taking place throughout the course of 2024. So um, this is pretty, actually pretty typical as as far as year ahead outlook processes go. We we spend a long time uh, thinking about what the next year will look like, and we put out our thoughts. And generally, with within a month, things have changed enough uh, to, um, to to make us have to rethink the outlook. And here 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 again is exactly what happened. I would say um, we still feel the same way about 2024 as we did a month ago when we published our outlook. Uh, it's just that the market prices have, have have changed. And you know, when we think about uh, Fed policy, you know, our our call for uh, FOMC, the, the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee's policy path for the coming year, saw the Fed begin to lower rates at its at the June meeting in 2024. Uh, then, then lower rates again in the, at the September meeting, uh, and then from from that point onwards, just continue to, to lower rates at every meeting thereafter uh, until they until returning to a more neutral level of interest rates. So that that was the call, and and today the bond market is pricing the Fed to begin lowering interest rates uh, before June, and um, but but. So, so the timing is, is slightly brought forward in, in the market price today, but in terms of the pace of rate hikes that follow, uh, the pace is actually somewhat in line with, with our, our expectations. And so where I might take some issue on the current market price is with the, 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 the timing of the first rate cut, but not necessarily the rate cuts that the market uh, is priced uh, to follow. So, you know, I mean, that's a, it's a great point. So we we have the meeting coming up, the December meeting um, on December 13th. And, and that's why I thought, given what we were seeing in the market, 
so far and, and to your point what's been priced in here everything's been kind of pulled forward do you think come fed time do you think powell and company could disappoint the markets in other words looking at the dot plot coming in looking at the press conference for powell um at 2 30 eastern time here also the policy statement if, if you wouldn't mind let's let's talk about all three i mean in in those three venues where the Fed can provide forward guidance, can communicate, do you think where the market is right now? When I say the market, let's just say the Treasury market. Do you think there is a, a sense it could be ripe for some disappointment at the meeting? Not necessarily to your point where this could ultimately end up, but at least just what we could see as the results on December 13th. So, you know, the market is pricing about 125 basis points worth of rate cuts uh, for 2024. And the Fed's dot plot, uh, which you know shows uh, their collective view on what appropriate policy may be, you know, we we do not expect the dot plot to to come close to what is currently in the market price. Uh, as it stands, uh, our current view is that the dot plot will show about 75 basis points worth of rate cuts for 2024. In other words, we, we do think the Fed will view rate cuts as appropriate in 2024. Uh, and the, the, the number of rate cuts um, we, we think they'll find appropriate, it will be about three. So three 25 basis point rate cuts would give you a 75 basis point reduction in the federal funds target range in 2024. Well, you know, the market uh, currently would be pricing about 50 basis points more than what we're expecting the Fed to guide. And so the question then becomes, is that enough to disappoint the market? Is that 50 basis point differential between what's in the market price and what the Fed is guiding towards, is that going to cause the bond market to underperform? Uh, would, would, would we expect the market price to adjust back towards the Fed's guidance? And this is where economic data have a role to play. Because you know, if economic data is weakening in real time, uh, investors may discount the, the guidance that comes from the Fed. Because investors may say, well, the Fed typically is responding to data that has transpired over the past three or six months, not necessarily sort of the, the freshest data that we could look at. And therefore, um, this, this guidance from the Fed that, that is suggesting 75 basis points might be appropriate that guidance is based on backward-looking data uh, from the past three to six months. It's not necessarily overweighting the data that has come out much more recently. So the market may not may not respond to guidance from the Fed that is not as dovish as what the as what is currently priced in. And of course. Uh, you know, we're recording this on on Thursday. Uh, the non-farm payroll report that is due tomorrow on Friday um, is 
is going to be important for um, for how the market responds uh, to the Fed guidance that we that we get next week. So there was a a headline slash article on Bloomberg. You probably saw it earlier today. The treasuries have more to fear from the Bank of Japan than the Fed. I don't know if you happen to see it, but I guess it was based on the premise um, that the Bank of Japan could, let's say, become a little bit more hawkish, right, and, and move away a little bit, I guess, from yield curve control and, and some of what we've seen there. Um, so I'm just curious, do you think do you think there's there's any justification for that kind of a headline? Do you think that we should be looking at What's going on, say, coming from the Bank of Japan? Do you think that could play a material role in where Treasury yields could be going if, in fact, the gist of the article is correct? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that that headline uh, is particularly helpful. Uh, in fact, I think it's it's more misleading than, than anything else. Uh, the reason is because, you know, as, as Kevin, as you know, and perhaps this is why you're asking me this question, um, I spent about 10 years of my career uh, living and working in Tokyo, Japan. And so I'm very familiar with how investors in Japan think about these issues. And one of the lessons I learned uh, during that time, and it, it remains true today, as we can see in, in the data that we look at from the Ministry of Finance in Japan, uh, is that the primary driver of Jap Japanese investor uh, uh, interest abroad is not the Bank of Japan or its policies. The, the primary driver of Japanese investment into the U.S. bond market or into the European bond market is the monetary policies and the evolution of the economies in Europe and the U.S. That's what is going to determine uh, how investors in Japan put money to work or don't put money to work in our markets. And so if you know, the Morgan Stanley view is right, that the Fed will be lowering interest rates in 2024 and that the ECB will be lowering interest rates in 2024, and even the Bank of England will be lowering rates in 2024, then investors in Japan are going to put money to work in our bond markets, absolutely. Uh, even if the Bank of Japan hikes rates by more than what the current market is implying the Bank of Japan to do, I would argue that investors in Japan will be much more sensitive to monetary policies outside of Japan when looking to invest outside of Japan. I mean, so let me turn it back to to, to the outlook again that, that you all published, um, you know, three, four weeks ago, and you, you make references in there to to more sovereign bond supply. And, you know, we're, we're now in the state here in the U.S. We'll just keep it here in the U.S. Um, running, you know, baseline trillion dollar deficits. We've already seen coupon auction sizes get increased and the debt managers even suggesting that there could be another another increase coming in the upcoming quarter. What kind of a role going forward? Because when, when the 10-year Treasury got to, say, roughly, I think it was 502 maybe on an intraday basis, you know, there was a lot of discussion about some of that having to do with supply outside of the normal fundamentals. Do you think that comes back at all um, to haunt the market? Or do you think 
it, it's kind of secondary or tertiary and, and it's not going to play that much of a visible role in let's let's just say in the beginning part of 2024 so um the way in which bond markets price in supply is that the prices of the bond market moves the most when expectations are forming for the supply picture and the fact that we're talking about supply today in such crystal terms the fact that we've been talking about bond market supply for many 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 months now suggests that everybody's expectations for a lot of government bond supply next year have already formed and therefore the majority of the price move related to that supply has already occurred and you know i i you know we've We've had we had a very big bond market sell-off over the summertime. A lot of people associated that move with increased supply, uh, but then we had a big bond market rally, reversing almost the entirety of the sell-off. But the supply picture hasn't changed. We still have a tremendous amount of supply that's coming our way. So why did the bond market retrace all of the sell-off? It must be because the original sell-off did not have much to do with supply in the first place. Um, and, that, that, and that's our view. Uh, we think that supply, of course, has had an impact, but that impact occurred before the summertime, in our opinion. And the moves that have occurred in the, in the bond market since the summer have been primarily driven by a combination of economic data and how the Federal Reserve responded to that set of economic data. The Fed got hawkish over the summer, it got dovish thereafter, so the bond market sold off when the when the Fed was hawkish, and the bond market rallied when the Fed was dovish. So you know this is this is how we see it. What I will say is this is exactly why we think 2024 will be very confusing to investors because many investors worry about supply, but when you get the type of bond market rally that we've been looking for. Uh, that can be very confusing. And, and so that's why we titled our outlook the year of confusion, because things will be happening that will uh, that will strike people as odd. Um, and, and our recommendation is when something strikes you as odd to come to us uh, to understand it, because we've been looking at the bond market for over two decades. We know how it works and we can help other people understand how it works. Good stuff. One final question. I know we've done a lot here on the Fed and the bond market, but in, in your weekly note, you discuss the call for the euro and the U.S. dollar to fall to parity first quarter of next year. Just give give our audience a sense what 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 is driving that call? Because you know it's interesting. It, it it's always like when you when you hit a a threshold or a benchmark, right? When you talk parity between the euro and the dollar. That captures people's attention. So I, I just thought what a, it would be a good way to end and, and to give our listeners a, a sense of what's the reasoning behind that call. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, the economic data that's been coming out of Europe has certainly been much weaker than the economic data that we've seen coming out of the United States. But it's not just Europe. Um, we're also seeing weakness uh, in uh, economic data in Asia. And so when we when we look at or when we consider the U.S. economy is also slowing uh, such that 
the global economy is slowing almost everywhere we look, that's an environment that generally is pretty good for the value of the US dollar. The US dollar, of course, is the world's reserve currency, and it typically benefits when economic data around the world are not doing particularly well. So the first part of the story of getting the euro dollar exchange rate down to down to one uh, or parity uh, is a global growth story. We think global growth will remain weak and, and continue to weaken, and the U.S. will now take part in that. Um, the second part of it is that we are expecting uh, the ECB to be cutting rates, and when you think about um, where the e where the ECB is starting their rate cutting cycle, they're starting it from four percent. The Fed would be starting it from five and a half percent. There is still going to be an interest rate differential that favors the United States, and so as the ECB is lowering its interest rate policy rates, uh, we feel that investors will still prefer to hang out in the safety and soundness of the US dollar currency, uh, which is yielding more than the Euro is yielding. So it, it kind of works on a number of different levels. Good stuff, Matt. I think we're gonna call it there for the podcast. You know, a lot going on here. We thought it would be a great idea to have Matt on. You know, as you know, as, as referenced, you all have been doing this for a long time. So it's nice to have some experts in the field uh, on the call as well. So Matt, once again, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having me back. Um, have a great rest of the holiday season and we'll speak to you in the new year. Sounds good. And everybody else out there, be well. We'll be back on with another podcast post-Fed later on this week. So, so be ready for that. Thanks, everybody.